You are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is the Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that, and like you, right now. So be encouraged. And let your light shine. shine. I didn't listen to it. You still haven't. I will not ever. That's a vow. <laughs> I know I know that you said that, but in my mind, a lot of people say that. Mm-hmm. And then a good month in, we're, we're all listening. Zero They've desires. Listened. No. You still haven't. Oh, Jenna I'm, has a will of steel. You're no, like I refuse she has like an iron to listen. Will. It's not even. No, I don't. It's not a. It's not a temptation. It's a. Didn't you have to like film yourself teaching at school and watch yourself? <laughs> Just say it and hope I didn't say the wrong thing. If you found chapstick in a room that wasn't yours, but you just found it, would you put it on? Is it in a room in your house? No, it was in here. Do you think it's yours? No, it is mine. I'm wondering if you oh, think there's else? a possibility that someone else has used no. this since I left it in here. I really want my chapstick, but it's also been in here for multiple days. Just wondering if, do you think someone would slather? Okay. Oh, Jen, it's going to be okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm all riled up now about oh, why no. <laughs> Do you know the amazing things that I just realized about Yetis? Oh my gosh! Strong magnets! What? No, that's what that was? No! Do we? Do you want to do some deep breathing exercises before we start? I didn't even give her questions. This was I'm, your idea. I know! <laughs> I'm here because of you. <laughs> and because I can't I say no. We'll talk about it. Okay, what do you want me to ask? Oh, gosh. <laughs> She's like, nothing. Like, may I leave? Are we just not talking this evening? <laughs> welcome to the Mime Show. <laughs> okay, so welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. It's Betty. It's Kitty. And we are here on the last week of the month that was love <laughs> with Miss Jenny. Jenna York has graced us with her presence today. I twisted her arm. She's sweating bullets over here. But we've been waiting for three years to have someone come on the podcast during our month of love and talk about singleness. And Jenna, without any coercion, agreed to come. (laughs) So welcome, Jenna. So glad to have you here. If you want to hear her testimony podcast, it is season two, episode 47. It's so good. It is really good. She has not listened to it yet, but if you've missed it, check it out. It's a worthwhile listen. She has great things to say. But we're here today because Jenna is 37 and single, and we need a softball question. What does a softball Like easy. So she, tell us about your worst date. (laughs) I really haven't been on very many dates. Anything terrible? Were you wanted to leave immediately? Not really. Nothing terrible. Well, I guess that's probably good that yeah. you don't have a lot of bad stories. I went on a date in college one time where the guy drove me around. He just sang, like scream sang in his car the whole time while you're driving. I went on a blind date in college that my professor that I worked for set me up with. He was a former student of hers. And we went to go see The Last of the Mohicans, which is a traumatizing movie. And then he was like, do you want to go get coffee? And I was like, no. (laughs) I want to go back to my dorm room and sit in silence. That was a one and done. Just because all the scalpings? 
Oh my gosh, have you seen that movie? It's traumatic. No, I would imagine. It's not a movie to take the first time you go on a blind date with someone (laughs) and then want to go have coffee afterwards. afterwards. I was like, no, not happening. (laughs) One of the reasons why I wanted to talk to somebody who was single that goes to church is because I feel like there is a stigma with singleness sometimes with the church. And I think we need to be better relating to folks who are over a certain age that are single. And I also think that it's good for us to hear from someone who's in that situation on how it is to be single when you're going to church, because oftentimes church is thought of as a family event. And I've had friends who are divorced who say it's really hard to come to church because it's made for the family and you just feel like there's a spotlight on you. And I've also had a single friend who told me that they felt like it was more acceptable in a church to be divorced than it was to be single mm-hmm. over a certain age because people just didn't know how to wrap their heads around that. We appreciate you coming in today to talk to us about this topic and help us be more relatable as a church family for people who are single and how we can make it a more welcoming place and make it feel more inclusive and not like it's just for families. Yeah, I think our church does a pretty good job of making people feel included. I do anyway. I'm also not like acutely aware and uncomfortable with being being single. So I think that's a difference. Mm -hmm. If you were versus if you're just living life and you happen to be single, you know what I mean? So I think that's one thing and maybe influences people's perspective is how they view being single, I guess, and what emphasis they place on relationship status. I don't know. I have been through like phases. I think when you hit like that awkward, like you're in youth group, they've got a place for youth group. You're in college. A lot of places have like a young adult ministry for college age-ish people. And then you get out of college and, you know, depending on the size of the church, it may not have a place for like young adult singles. I think when I first started coming, The young adult group was hosted by Bruce and Monica, and they significantly extended the upper (laughs) level (laughs) age for me to still uh, be able to come. And obviously, I'd be blown far past that now, six years on from when I started. You know, it depends on on the size of the church. And if I'm the only person in my demographic, I can't expect it to be a whole ministry or a whole group just for a single young adult, whatever, or... I think based on my personal experience with being single and being in the church my whole life, I've had a lot of really close friends who are married with children and they're my age or near-ish. I think a lot of people think like if you're married with kids, like you stick with your married friends or you just stick with your family unit only or whatever. And if you're single, you find single friends, but it's not, it doesn't have to be the case. And I think the easiest way or the best advice, I guess, for single people who might be trying to connect with married people who have children is to like connect with the whole family. Don't insist on, I must just only do something with the spouse who's my same gender. Do something with the whole family, befriend their children, show up to birthday parties, go to their sporting events. 
love the whole family because the person that you want to be friends with, the context of that person is within their family. So you've got to love them for, you know, if you were friends when you were single and you're, you stayed friends as they've moved through a relationship and into a family and you haven't moved on like that, you can't just expect them to still be the same person who they were when you were friends and single. They're a different person, so you've got to accept where they are in life. And then hopefully families will be willing to accept single people into their lives as well, even if maybe you weren't friends with them before or you didn't know them before. I think that's probably one of the biggest things that I've seen. And that can, that can be isolating and not even intentional. It's just people don't think of single people as somebody you'd call over for dinner or whatever. Like when I was living in Southern Ohio, there's a family, John and Rachel Pinson, and then they had a boy and a girl who were pretty young. I think their daughter was around like four or five when I was living there and their son was a few years older. It was just a given. I started out being placed in their, like uh, Rachel's like women's discipleship group. And then that carried on for like a year or two. And then the church kind of went in a different direction and the discipleship group sort of dissolved. But it was still like just expected that they expected me to come over every Sunday after church. I'd hang out, we'd have lunch, we'd have dinner. I'd go home when it was time for everybody to go to bed. And it was good. It, it was really a good relationship with the whole family. So <laughs> I think that's great advice because uh-huh. I know being a mom of three and working and having a husband that my time on my own is very limited. And so even friends that are married with kids, I don't think we expect to see each other that much because we're married with kids and it's chaos and crazy with schedules. But I love that idea of just inviting them into your life and having them doing life with you because you may not be able to take that time out for one-on-one time when you're in that season of life with young kids, but you definitely probably have room in your life and your home to invite people into your space and into the middle of your chaos and your mess. That whole idea, your friend was saying it's easier to be divorced and single than to be a single and how culture has been set up where it's the need and the necessity for another person. And oftentimes what culture will teach you is that it is another person that makes you whole, you know, and over and over we have scripture teaching us and Paul saying directly, it's better. And not that looking for a significant other or being married, like they are gifts. But if the church had this a correct perspective that was not so intertwined with culture, but looked at that at, a, at such an advantage. I just feel like it's amazing that you're able to do that, where you say, I am not acutely aware of my singleness, where you just feel like culture in general is so aware. But I love that you can say that because that's biblical maturity to say, this is a good thing. I love also that you are able to just say, I'm not acutely aware and I'm just willing to jump in because I feel sometimes like we make it awkward. People make the situation awkward and it's like, does it have to be? You know, if you're saying, I'm in a different space than you are, but I'm going to come into your life and we're going to be friends and I'm going to hang out with your family. And that is so cool. And I love that perspective. It's just very open and willing. I think I'm a weird i'm an outlier from what your normal conversation would be with somebody about singleness singlehood in the church and things how you relate to people because you said it's like unusual or weird or not making it awkward but like it just feels normal like that's just the way to to do it it might have been a different perspective 20 years ago you know 15 years ago graduating college and 
it's not like I planned my life around, like, I'm just going to grow up and want to be single. But, you know, I like, fully expected growing up, like, oh, I'll be married one day, I'll have kids one day. And I saw enough of my female friends specific just waiting and then waiting and then waiting and then like especially when I was like in Columbus because that was in grad school so I'm already out of undergrad and into my mid-20s and like my friends are that age or older and they've been waiting and they've been waiting and like I've seen too many women especially wait for their life to start until they get married and they lost out like they missed out on so much and it's not it's just a total fabrication that's just not what happens it doesn't start when you get married it's just a different phase when you get married so I'm sure I've had feelings like I had one one year in undergrad when all of my roommates it was a house with four girls got married and not me in doing so, they left. They moved out early. So I was left in a house living by myself for the first time as like a 19 or 20 year old. And it felt like kind of a, an abandonment of friendships that I had really invested in for a couple of years. And then because I don't think always newly relationship people <laughs> know how to relate to single single friends either. And so I'm sure it's been a processing bit by bit, but right now it just feels like normal. You know, it doesn't feel weird or awkward to say like, oh, you're my friend and you're married and you've got, you know, a husband and kids. And so let's just all be friends. Like, I care about what's happening in your life and they're part of your life. So why wouldn't I care about them? Do you think the church has put pressure on like the friends that you feel like where they were just waiting, waiting, waiting to get married because the church has told people like, you should be at this stage at this time in your life. And is that something that's more prevalent in the church culture than the rest of the world? That's a big question. I don't think I can speak for all the whole church culture or the rest of the world. I think in the church, uh, there's probably more pressure to get married if you're going to be in a relationship, if you want all the benefits, the perks, right? Because in the church, yeah, it's like get married and do it quickly or you're gonna have to wait and continue waiting just like you were waiting before. And the world's like, well, get married or don't, do what you feel, love who you love, be what you wanna be for as long as you wanna be that and then be something different. Like, so maybe, maybe, but I, I don't know that that's like the church's fault versus the way people look at relationships if it's self-serving or self-sacrificial, I guess. And it's probably always a little bit of both for everybody, except Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. That's a big question. In general, culture and maybe the church too tries to put people in boxes because it's easier than getting to know individuals. Right. And so if you present a certain way or are single in your late 30s or whatever, like people start to wonder like, well, why is it? And then the easiest answer comes to mind is what's labeled. And the world does that too. So like everybody, everybody just puts labels on people and some people accept them more than others, I think, which is sad because then you've been told by somebody else who you are. And if you really believe it or take it in, it can influence your path pretty significantly. So that's tough. I've had experience with seeing that both in the world and in, in the church. That is a much better way of explaining and defining it that I was getting at. But the idea that people, because it's the most simple way to put things into categories, like the idea of putting people into boxes, that's what makes it awkward because then like I'm in this box here in this box and our boxes don't can't put those boxes together but the idea that like I've never felt that with you where it's like I'm in this 
category and you're in this category and yeah. the box thing. I love that picture. And I think I see that in the church too, just with women about I was a working mom and I felt like the church put people in a box sometimes. Like if you want to be a good mom, you need to be at home or instead of realizing that God has different plans and different purposes for different people, like it's all cookie cutter. Like everybody needs to look exactly the same. Everybody needs to be homeschooling if you care about your kids. You know, there's so much judgment. Do you bottle feed? Do you nurse? There's so much judgment for women, I think. That's a good picture is we just want to put people in boxes and God doesn't put us in boxes. Something that I've kind of, I don't know, it's a phrase I've sort of told myself, reminded myself for probably the last five years or so, like just from experiences where I let people be who they were and then just love them where they were just to see what God would do with it. And that whole process of realizing like I'm not here to control people, kind of like what we actually think we talked about it in um, sermon Sunday school class on Sunday. Like I'm not here to control people's decisions or actions or outcomes. Like I'm here to love people unconditionally and off on a tangent, you can't expect people who aren't in, in the church and who don't know Jesus to behave like they know Jesus. Like that's not the standard that we set up to judge people. People who don't know Jesus. So it's a different story if you say you do, but there's different levels of accountability and things. But yeah, I mean, if you look at people, every interaction with people is a privilege. Like the people God puts in your life are a privilege. And when Bob Bertelson was here, he talked about stewardship and I thought it was really good. I feel like just the way my parents raised me and like the things that I was taught from a young age, like tithing and stuff that just feels normal. But I think people talking about stewardship Money comes to mind probably first, and then maybe stuff, possessions and things. Maybe Bob was talking about being a good steward of your business or your home. But for me, it feels like the most important and the most challenging thing to steward is relationships. And the starting point for me is get to know the person for who they are, not who you think they are, not who somebody else said they were, not who you assume they are, but like just who they are. And it's so much fun as you do that and you're praying for somebody and God like starts to show you who they are to call out the things that you see because God showed you that they're there to speak into their identity and, and who they are and what they're called to, to do and be. And like not without not saying, thus saith the Lord, you're going to be a prophet to the nation, you know, like, but like just encouraging them and in, in the things that, you know, God's put in them, I think is really cool. Because when you know God's put it there, He's done it for a reason, and it's to He wants it to grow, and He wants it to come in, into fruition, and so you're just there watering the seeds that you know have already been planted, and I think that's really cool. How have you relied on God as a sense of Him being your partner? And I'm, I'm sure there's been seasons of life where, you know, you're in college or you're in high school and or you're out of college, but like in this season that you're in right now, who has God been for you? Yeah, I mean, I think with seasons, it cha it changes sort of, God doesn't change, but my awareness or perception of Him does, or reliance on Him does. I feel really fortunate there's never been like a major crisis of faith or whatever, but there have definitely been dark times where it feels like I'm in a desert, like I'm really just actually in a desert and I don't hear you and I don't really feel you. I believe that you're here because you said you are, but it feels a lot more difficult and a lot more isolating than, you know, other times. And then the temptation with that is to start turning inward and just, and then it really is isolating because I'm not even looking for him. I'm just feeling sorry for myself. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so 
He's always been faithful. He promises that he'll be faithful even if we're not. I remember I was living in Southern Ohio, which is a different culture. Truly it is, even though it's still Ohio, it's really a different culture. But I got a, I picked up a screw in my tire and I had already started like changing my tire. When my friend's dad pulled up, he's like, oh, aren't you an independent woman? I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> I am. I'm in, I'm in my 30s. I live alone. Like, if I'm not going to do it, who else is? So there's, like, some practical context of learn things and do things if you're interested in it. But also, like, I mean, there's, like, other things, you know, like, well, I don't have a joint income to retire on or, you know, those things. But it's, like, that's so far not now. And I don't need to get myself worked up over that. It's not like I don't plan for things or try to save or whatever. But, like... God's never not been faithful. Even when I've been like the sorriest excuse of myself and self-pitying and, you know, just woe is me, poor, poor me. I don't deserve whatever is happening right now. Like he's still faithful enough that he comes and finds me in that when I'd be like, see ya, come find me when you're ready. Like that would be me. Like, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to be around this. You can come find me when you, you know, get your reality check here, but that's not what he does. I remember that year that my roommate Saul left me and got engaged and stopped talking to me and I was like alone in a house. That was rough and it was winter and it was long. I started reading Lamentations. I was like, I get it, I get it. Like, <laughs> so sad. <laughs> Everything's bad. That. Just talking about God's faithfulness because that's where I was. That was my sophomore year of college and the group that I'd gone to Africa with, which was referenced in the first podcast, they were going to Brazil with Iris, like our Heidi Baker and everybody. They were helping to set up Iris Ministries in Sao Paulo, Brazil that year. And they're like, are you coming? I was like, no, no, I'm not. I'm not coming. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm not. And then literally post deadline for like signing up for the trip, God changed my heart enough that I was like, I'll go. And I was grumpy about it. It was literally like as the wheels touched down on the tarmac in Brazil, like I just felt like a total attitude shift and God really turned my, my attitude around a lot during that trip. Not saying you have to go on, a, you know, overseas for that, but that's just an example of like, I wasn't in a good place. I wasn't really trying to be in a good place. And he still came and found me and like kept me from going too far down the pity party road. You had talked about some people are waiting, 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 and they're holding their breath while they're waiting. But talk to us about, you said, live your life and do do things that you like. Talk to us about that. What's your advice for people who, who may find themselves holding their breath or waiting or in their heads thinking like, well, when I get to the next stage of my life, things will be better. When I get married, things will be better. And then they're like, well, when I have kids, things will be better. When the kids are out of the house, you know, like we're always, I think our culture is quick to do that. Like you're always anticipating the next thing and then you miss what's right in front of us. So what's your advice to people who are single? And they may be waiting, they may not be waiting, but what's your advice for living abundantly? Hopefully it doesn't sound overly spiritual, but if you're not fulfilled and satisfied with God and Him first and Him alone, then nothing else is going to fulfill you or satisfy you. I mean, it can, it's nice. There are nice things. Like, I can't speak to, like, families or relationships or whatever, but a job or, like, a career, a graduation or whatever. There have been things that I've looked forward to and worked towards for long years, and then it was a sense of accomplishment, but it wasn't like, now I've made it. Now I'm fulfilled. Now, you know, I think the 
best thing you can do to, again, I'm not in a relationship. I think the best thing you can do to prepare yourself to be in one is to know fully who you are in God and be able to be fully satisfied with him alone because then you're not looking for somebody else to fulfill you or to like meet your needs or whatever and there will be times when you know like somebody does fill you up or does feel like they're meeting your needs but that's not the source and they can't ever be because they weren't designed to be in the bible i think the parable where jesus says like a woman's husband dies and then the brother marries her and then the other brother and then the other brother and the other brother and whose wife is she going to be in heaven and jesus is like it doesn't matter. That's not what heaven's about. It's not about marriage. It's, it's something that's for here, and it, and it's a good thing, but it's not the ultimate. I don't know what the mystery of it is, but it's not like a totally eternal thing in the same context, at least, that we have it here. Well, and then the practical stuff, the less spiritual is like, <laughs> do what you want, like with your time and your money and your agenda and your interests and your hobbies, and you, you're allowed to have those. <laughs> Don't try to fashion them into whatever you think the ideal spouse, partner, you know, would want. Um, because then you're going to have to be that person the whole rest of your life if it's not really who you want to be or who you are. Or those aren't really your interests or your personality or the movies you like to watch, but you just pretended you did. <laughs> I hope you're in for a lifetime of, yeah, you know, like, enjoy who you are and, and the things that, that light you up. And then if somebody else enjoys those things too, then that's great. But in the meantime, at least you can enjoy them yourself. Mm. I'm not saying to live like a totally selfish life, but God did make you unique and to have your own special interests and talents and and you're interested in those things for a reason and you don't know like who he's going to put in your path through those interests, whether it's somebody whose life you can help shape or change or mentor or influence or share the love of Jesus or a spouse or whatever. And I think he just wants us to be who he made us to be, like fully, always. Yeah, I mean, the whole point, isn't it? A couple times Paul talks about if you're single, it's better. I wish everybody could be single. I wish everybody could be like me. But then he says later on, why? Because then you can devote all your time to serving the Lord. And you don't have to worry about the concerns of a, a household or a spouse or children. Mm, so it's not like an excuse to be totally selfish. I'm not, I'm not saying that. In the moments with your roommates who ended up leaving but also hurting you mm -hmm. you were saying you know the plane landed and you felt like you felt better but was there a process to working through that where other people have hurt you because they've begun to act differently or because they're now in another box and the relationship ends or changes how do you process that into finding forgiveness for people who have hurt you yeah, that's hard. Well, first, forgiveness is a process and not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. not So like your your feelings may not necessarily line up just because you said, I forgive them. You can truly forgive somebody and, and then still feel hurt. Healing comes from God and forgiveness is a choice that we make because God first forgave us and loved us. So I think there's that. And then... I don't know. It, it is a choice. And it doesn't always mean that everything's better. You know what I mean? Like now you've forgiven them and you're made up and you're friends again. Like there are times that I've had experiences where people get married and like actually many times where 
there was, I had a, uh, another friend in Columbus who got married and we were all friends. I was friends with her fiance too. We'd been reading through a book together and she got engaged and like, that was it. I never literally saw them again, except for the wedding and then a, a mutual friend's funeral, uh, father's funeral, excuse me. And that was it. That's it. It was just so bizarre. You know what I mean? Like, cause I was the same person and I was friends with both of them and it definitely was hurtful then, but I think you have to let people be who they are without trying to force them into who you want them to be, I guess. And then you're honest, I think. That's one thing that I've more recently been learning through other circumstances is that, I don't even know how many times, but in the Bible it talks about God being close to the brokenhearted. That's who he's especially close to is the people who are brokenhearted. So for whatever reason, like if that's where you are in that season, the thing that I've had to learn as somebody who's not always super in touch with or honest with myself about emotions is in order to feel the nearness of God to brokenheartedness, I have to acknowledge and feel the fact that I am brokenhearted and then invite him into that because he wants to be there. But if I'm just like, nope, I'm fine by sheer will, I'm going to get through this and I'm going to forgive this person because that's the right thing to do and I'm just going to march through it. That's not the brokenhearted environment that God like invites himself into if we'll just let him. So, so that's part of it. And I think there's layers of forgiveness. You know, it's not like a one and done thing. Yeah. I forgive you. Okay, we're good. Let's just move on. Like, it's like, I forgive you. And then there'll be something else, a memory or a photo or a place or a thing, or just who knows what random whatever that'll bring something up. And then you'll be angry again or hurt again or both. And then you'll have to forgive them and hand it over to God and then invite him in and into that new area that's like opened up that you didn't maybe realize was still there. Do you feel like you've had to work through or process becoming cynical because people keep leaving relationships? I don't know if cynical. First of all, maybe it's because at this stage in my life, most people are already married. So it's not like what's happened has happened and like the the chips have already fallen where they're going to fall. And I'm not expecting things to, you know what I mean? Like I know where I stand with everybody in, in my life at this point yeah. for the most part without any huge drastic changes. So that might be part of it. There's not as much room for cynicism because there's not as much change. Like the dynamic's not really changing much anymore. I might have been more so, you know, 10 years ago when everybody was like getting married and getting married and getting married. And I never knew like, so are we still friends, you know? And and even like a few years ago, I think I probably felt more cynical towards the church. Like I, I, I don't know, probably in the last eight or so years of thought like, it's really unfortunate. Like there's definite intentionality behind like reaching kids and youth and college age. And usually there's like a married couples group and there are there's usually divorce support groups. There's things intentionally set up in churches for everybody but singles. And there doesn't have to be as long as it's not an exclusion of singles to the fact that all these groups exist and they're for these people. And then the only people who are left are singles, but there's there's no room for them in the existing group. Yeah, I think if cynicism had entered in at any <laughs> any point, it was probably there. And, I, and again, I'm not specifically talking about upper room or anything. I've just, I've traveled a lot. So I've been in a lot of churches and had a lot of different experiences. When I first moved back to the area before I, I was here for a couple of years before I found Upper Room and I tried a lot of different churches, like intentionally trying to like go and meet the pastors and meet people. And like, it just, it took 
two and a half years to find a place where I was like able to establish relationships with people as a single person. So at that time, I'd say I was pretty cynical. I, I was pretty cynical. Yeah. It's not really something that's at the forefront of my mind, but I, I've said before, and this conversation is kind of reminding me that I've said it, like if I didn't know Jesus and love Jesus so much, I don't know that the church would have, like there's many times in my life where I probably would have been okay with being done with church, but it's not really about church, it's about Jesus. And it's not really supposed to be a choice as much as it's we're told that we need to be in community with people, with like-minded people. And it's not really about coming to church to be fed as much as it is to be like placing people in your life who you can be accountable to and have permission to speak into your life and and those kinds of things. So that's so good. Yeah, well, I'm not like a you know rocket scientist or anything, but if you think about like if they launch a rocket that's supposed to go to the International Space Station and if it's off by a half a degree here on Earth, when it launches, by the time it gets there, it will be I don't even know, really 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 far away. And it started off with half a degree and it's the trajectory that you get put on and if you don't have anybody in your life calling you out and saying you're not thinking right about this this is a cult you know this is a cultural idea or this is just a lie or this is whatever like the longer you go on a path unchecked without people and the word of god the further off your trajectory you could end up yes thank you that was beautiful metaphor that was so good thank you (laughs) it's the trajectory i think the bottom line is everybody needs to make room in their life for people that are different and invite people into your homes, out to dinner, into your lives that are in different stages of life than you, whether it's older people mentoring younger people. I just think we need to be more aware of looking around and being inclusive and saying, is there anybody left out here? And if you see somebody, how can you invite them in? And how can you make them feel like there's room for you at our table? And that's not just incumbent upon the families and married people. Like, singles can obviously do that, too. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not... That's what I was going to say. Jenna, I just feel like one of the things that's so beautiful about your life is that you're so humble about it. Because I do feel like Anne gets stuck in your own little rut and then begin to... Well, you were saying, you know, at one point long ago, I kind of felt bad for myself or feel like you can get in a rut and feel like, well, I'm different or I don't need to go out of my way for them they need to go out of their way you can take a humble road or you can take a different path but i feel like one of the things that is so beautiful about your life is that you're so humble and you have continued to push past pain and any cynicism that you've experienced and you have found all of these relationships because you've been willing to continue to seek those out and I just feel like we can get stuck in our little ruts, and, you know, wait for something to happen. And then it doesn't happen. And then we get more cynical and more upset that people aren't reaching out to us. And and I'm also very grateful for the upper room, too, just because I feel like it's something as far as like the multi-generational thing goes. I want to be in Sunday school with 80-somethings and 20-somethings. And I want to experience all of those because that's where we learn and grow and any other burning questions? I have two thoughts from what you just said. Two thoughts. Two thoughts. 
Thank you. That was a nice thing to say. It's not always always true or accurate. It's but truly and accurate. Well, Disagree. the whole parable, Jesus plank in your own eyes, speck of sawdust in somebody else's, like it's just the human condition. And it, I don't yes. think we ever really get away from that. Even And if you think you have, then you probably really haven't. You should check. <laughs> um, I can tell sometimes like I'm around, you know, some people like complain a little bit more than other people, you know what I mean? And like, after I've been around somebody who's more of a complainer, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're complaining about this because they basically do the same thing that they're complaining about and they don't even see it. And then I'm like, oh wait, I'm doing the same thing that I'm complaining about. And I don't even see it. And so recently and probably need to get, I feel like this is something that God's brought up multiple times more recently. So I probably really need to be more intentional about praying into it is where am I, you know, still like overly introspective and self-absorbed? Where am I like overly concerned about my own life without looking outwards? Because whether you're married or single or 80 or, you know, in middle school, like the whole point is just that we're supposed to be like Jesus. And there's not a certain life stage or life status or age or accomplishment that like marks of when we're supposed to start being like Jesus. You don't have to be married or single or an adult to be like Jesus. And the thing that I think we see repeated so often is like, he just saw people. He saw the crowds and had compassion on them. He saw the blind beggar and had compassion on him. He saw people. And that's people without boxes or, you know, like, because the boxes were the woman with the issue of blood should never have even come remotely close to him. She shouldn't have been out in public. Like, the, the boxes of the day were that he shouldn't have had any contact with almost anyone that he, he spoke to or healed or whatever. And so he just saw people without boxes or boundaries or definitions. It's safer to have boxes and boundaries, but it's a lot more fun to have just a person in front of you that God brought into your life for some reason, and it's up to you to find out why. <laughs> That's so good. Well, we really appreciate you coming in tonight and talking to us about singlehood, singleness in the church, and appreciate your time and your thoughts, and really appreciate your wisdom if you are out there, any of you, if you're single, invite somebody over to your house. If you're married, invite a single over to your house. There's room <laughs> for everybody. Yeah. Get out of those boxes and meet people that may be different than you because that's what Jesus did. And we want to be letting our light shine like Jesus. So thanks, Jenna, for coming in. Appreciate your time. Stay tuned next week for another special guest. Bye. Bye. Bye.